We are a impatient people. We love to get things done quickly. We want things that we want, and we, we want them now. <clears throat> the Associated Press, along with uh, Ipsos, they did a, a survey just studying uh, over 1,000 people on their tendencies um, when they had a wait. And what they came to find is um, people on a phone, when they're trying to get through to a bank company or whatever, it was about nine minutes in uh, that they just pretty much lost it. Um, they had enough, and typically they hadn't even talked to a person yet, and uh, that's pretty much when they, they ended up. As they watched people in all kinds of different lines, from being at the grocery store to wherever they were at, um, what they found is people pretty much reached the edge. Uh, for uh, women, it was about 18 minutes where they just, I no longer can take it. Uh, and actually, the men were worse. Uh, we were 15 minutes. And I know some of you men and, and myself, it's more like five minutes. Uh, we're impatient people. It was just 40 days in the desert. 40 days as Moses is receiving instruction from the Lord about how to live out as a worshiping people to Yahweh. 40 days and they went over the edge. They became impatient. Couldn't take it anymore and they demanded that they worship now. But in their own way. We want to do what we want to do, and this is how we want our worship to look. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come and make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, they forgot about him already, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't really know what happened to that guy. Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So the people took off their earrings and they brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. What an unbelievable statement. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and he announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward, they sat down to eat and to drink. And then they got up to indulge in revelry. Forty days and they totally went over the edge were no longer patient, but an impatient people who entered into idolatry, who entered into sin, because they didn't wait upon the Lord. It says they saw that Moses wasn't around. Their, their focus was on Moses. Ra'ah is the Hebrew. It's a, it's a term that is used that I intently focus upon what's going on with Moses. My fixation is upon this particular thing, like you fixate on your watches as I'm teaching my sermon. I know how that goes. <laughs> and the elders and, A- and Moses and uh, Aaron and his sons went before 
the Lord Almighty, and they saw God. Chapter 24. Same word. They were fixated. They beheld the beauty of God. And Eve, as she saw that the tree was good for fruit that one could eat, she took it and fixated upon it, and she ate it. What's our gaze upon? What do we fix our mind upon? Is it us and what we demand now? And I want to worship my way and I want things to go my way. And so my fixation is on things that will help that to happen. Or is it upon the glory of God and his timing and we are fixed upon him going, here I sit, Lord, and I wait upon you. But the Israelites, like us, didn't want to wait so long. And so they gathered around, the scriptures say. It actually means they pressed in upon. Hey, Aaron, guess what? You're going to do what we need you to do. And you're going to make us gods. You know, the scriptures in Corinthians 10 speaks to this scene that took place in the desert. And it actually gives it to us as a warning. Because Paul knows that we're sinful people. And that we need to deal with our sin. And that we can't just let it slip by like it's no big thing. Because it really does, for you and me both, greater damage than we ever thought. It takes us further than we ever wanted to even get close to. And it it takes over our life and our fixation again is because of so much on ourselves. We just become enslaved and we, we cannot even see anymore what's going on around us. And they gathered around. This is how we want to worship. And Corinthians 10 says this. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts. Oh, our wicked hearts. On the evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for you and for me. On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Corinthians 10, verse 12, you can't miss this. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. We like to think sometimes that, hey, it's all good. I'm doing everything right. Life is going good. I'm smooth. I'm okay. I don't have to deal with sin. I've got over that problem. And Paul's strong warning, and as he brings it back to the scene in Exodus, is, It's a a guide, a a caution to you. Because truly our hearts are wicked. We have the battle with our flesh. We have the battle with the world. We have the battle with the enemy, Satan, who comes in all forces trying to lead us into sin. That there would be destruction in our lives and that, that God would be mocked. And again, our lives would be destroyed. Come, make us gods. We want something tangible. We want an idol. And they actually trace back the lineage of the first people who demanded an idol. And they took that trace and actually sketched out a picture for you of the the first people who demanded an idol. (laughs) They led a whole nation, a whole nation into worshiping an idol. Right, Adam? Yeah, you know. My buddy Adam loves that show. 
Okay, I do too every now and then. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Come make us a God. As for this guy, Moses, this fellow Moses, who they who brought us up out of Egypt, they totally dismissed him. And then they say he's the one who brought us up out of Egypt and they totally dismiss God. Do you see this progression of sin? Spiritual leadership. Some of us are called into spiritual leadership. And our, our guarding, our, our role, our ministry is to care about the souls of the flock. It blows my mind to even think about that, truly, as a pastor. But that's what God calls us to. And one of the steps that we see in sin is that we are quickly dismissed. What can you bring us? What do you have to say? I don't really care what you say. Thanks for sharing. Bye. They dismissed Moses. And along with that, truly, in our hearts, we dismiss God. We are people who want to do what we want to do. We want to live the way we want to live. And then they go on and say, and we, this guy Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know where he is. Oh, the great lie. All they had to do was look up on the mountain that's consumed in the fire, the glory of God. They saw him go up. They knew he was going up into the presence of God. And so they threw out a lie. We don't know what's happened to this fellow. And so we want to do our lives. And so Aaron, help us get there. And so Aaron grabs a hold. Of his, actually, he besieged it. It's like he really took it. And then with a special tool, he carved out this golden calf. Aaron, as a spiritual leader, did what was popular, not what was right or godly. And woe to us as pastors here in this church if we ever go that direction. And you guys better be the first ones to say, what are you doing? Really. If we are here for popularity, boy, we're in big trouble. And then comes, I think, the worst scene. And, and you, if you can just imagine God's heart. They make this calf. And they hold it up. Here, O Israel, are the God, the gods that brought you up out of Egypt. And then Aaron goes, and tomorrow we will hold a festival unto the Lord. Do you see what's happening? This golden calf has become this tangible representation of God Almighty. Look at here it is, our gods that brought us up. And it's plural, our gods. Make us God. You think they're going to hold to just one God? You've got to be kidding yourselves. And we will do a festival unto the Lord. And that's what we want to do sometimes. This is where we enter into sin. We want Christianity. And yet we want what we want and how to live that Christianity out. And so let's mesh the two. We see all over the nation with false religions that, boy, it sure has a form of godliness. They talk about Jesus or they talk about the principles of Christianity. And so let's adopt those. But then again, let's live over here where, again, we're in control of our lives and our salvation is dependent upon us. And, 
Everything else we do is, is upon us. Have you heard of the secret? Oprah popped this out a little while ago. It's actually started with Jack Canfield. You know Jack? Chicken Soup for the Soul, Canfield. And what he did is he gathered a bunch of people around, and spiritual people and scientists and, and business people. And here's the secret. The secret is that we have not tapped into unleashed powers that exist. And so here's what they do. I watched this video last night. They, they bring out spiritual truth. There's good, actually, biblical principles. And then it's all human potential. You haven't tapped in to what is true and good. And, and one of the guys who's a reverend, he's a visionary, visionary. He says, we can't even, I mean, the sky is the limit. And if we just tap into the secret, which has some stuff related to Jesus somewhere in there, then our lives will be fulfilled upon a measure that you can never imagine. Oh, it's amazing where our hearts take us. And you know what? And you know this. Oprah is the spiritual leader of this world. And she brings all this stuff to the world and, and people buy into this. And we sometimes go, hmm, I wonder if I have a little more human potential. Oh, we're easily swayed, trust me. You and I both know that. And so before them is this mixture. And this is what I think broke God's heart too. You know what? It says, Aaron built an altar. Do you remember in chapter 24 when they make the covenant before God? Do you remember that time? And Moses built an altar for God. And it says Aaron rose up early and they rose up early. And Moses got them early and he got the sacrifice ready to make the covenant for God. And they brought burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Moses brought the burnt offerings. And do you remember the fellowship offering was actually as they went up into the presence of the Almighty. And here the people of Israel are copycatting all that took place to worship Yahweh. And they're bringing it into the presence of a cow. And they're doing exactly the similar things that look like godliness Except there was no blood spilled. There was no law read. And there was not a cry out of, and God, we will do everything that you have asked us to do. We will obey you, Lord. You know why we're so drawn into religion that looks like Christianity? Because the cow doesn't tell us anything. The cow does not call us to life and how to live. The cow doesn't say, here's the requirements for holy living. We like that the cow just sits there. And they sat down to eat and to drink. And God sat with his people and he ate and drank as they saw his glory. And then they got up to indulge in revelry. It's amazing how quickly their hearts turned. And again, woe to us if we think ours don't turn. 
what is the heart of man? And I think we would be foolish to think we, we couldn't end up in the same place, left unto ourselves. Without the power of the Holy Spirit and, and without us going, Lord, I need your strength. I am tempted. Deliver me from this. You are the one who can. Living God, remember, we are the tabernacle. Holy Spirit dwells within us. That gives us the power to resist the temptation, and we don't have to enter into that sin. And there's all kinds of festivals today that go on. People worship pigs, and, and people worship monkeys, the monkey sin, they call it. And look, we want to show you, this is the burning man. You ever heard of this? This happens every year in the Nevada desert. They build a 60-foot statue of a man, and they come, and they basically most of them are half-naked, and they dance around the burning man, and hundreds of thousands of people show up. And they say, actually, my best buddy used to be involved in this. He's like, hey, it's just freedom of expression, man. And then Mardi Gras just happened this last week. And let's go ahead and indulge in revelry, and then we can do Lent, and we hopefully, you know, it's all good. You don't think that we, left unto ourselves, don't end up in this depravity? Oh, we need the Lord. And so quickly they entered in. Acts 7 says, but the, our fathers refused to obey him, the Lord. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. It's our hearts again that we're dealing with. You know, you and I again, and I think we would say this, we don't worship a golden calf. We would never worship some golden image like tonight. <laughs> Need I say more? But you know what? We do worship the true God falsely. We turn them into who we want them to be. We we want God to teach our minds. We're like, oh, I'm so thankful to learn all this. But we don't let him teach our hearts and actually change us and transform us. you got a lot of head knowledge. But allowing God to actually do his refining work in our lives. We show up on Sundays and, and God, give us a lift, give us a boost for the week. And, and, and we want that. And yet we don't listen. We don't allow him to govern our lives and our words and our daily week. We want him to change others, but not to change us. We want love without holiness. We want mercy without justice. We want to worship a God the way we want to do it. And we must face our wicked hearts. It is the Lord God who brought you up out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down or worship them. I don't want that to be a generation who hates me that will go on. The first two commandments were broken at this scene, and they're broken in our lives as we bow down, as we bring other things of importance in our lives. And this morning, truly, I want it to, to be a time as a body, <clears throat> but that we would truly repent. That we would say, God... Is there any way in me that I am placing others or things before you? That things are more important than you are? 
Father, is there things in my life that I think I need instead of you? That's an idol. That's an idol. We have lots of golden calves in our lives. Our busyness, our children that we just love and adore, but we focus on them more than we do the Lord. Tobacco, anything addictive. I mean, truly, those addictive things, boy, they just get a hold of us. We understand addiction, and we're not, again, we're not out here to judge all that. But it's things that we just can't break the bond of. Sports and sex and work and position and money, our cars and our home, television sets. We all know, let's just admit it right here and right now, when we walk into Costco, the first thing in the door, we bow down and worship. There are 40 gods of all different sizes. I prefer the 50-inch God. I think the Lord wants me to have it. Of course, the remote control that we can't live without. To record my TV show 24 right now on TiVo. I'm not addicted to 24. Now, you know, I was thinking through we all, I mean, again, we all have these, these, these golden calves that are subtle sometimes, but they, they really do take over our, our lives. And we sort of allow them to do that. And we think it's not a big deal, but the more we engage with it, it becomes a big deal. You know, I have a lot of sin in my life and, and things, again, that, would, um, that I place before God. I was trying to think of one that I could share with you. Again, you know, I know you want the real dirt, but I'm not going to give it to you. Um, but here's one thing I know. It's actually the Lord just spoke to my heart about it uh, a little while ago. I love to travel. Love it. I love to see all that God has out there. I'm, I'm always amazed about his creation. Travel in itself is a good thing. Most of these things, working hard, they're all good things. It's just there's a line sometimes we end up crossing. <clears throat> this is what I found in myself. I found myself often, I'd be on the computer for several hours at a time, and I'm looking at images of Caribbean beach or cruises that would get me somewhere to a beach somehow quickly. And what I started to realize and what the Spirit was working in my life was, hey, Rod, you know, I created that beach. It's great to go to the beach. Enjoy my creation. But what's happening in you is that you want to escape. You're, you're sick and tired of things that are going on. And so you want to go to a beach to escape this. Instead of coming to me and saying, Lord, help me during this winter season. Help me to, to just rely on you. Uh, I do. I want to get away. I'm tired of these people, oh Lord. You know, help me. Just as much as you're tired of me. No, you know what I mean? And it just started to become, in a sense, an idol in my life. Um, and that's where we've got to go, Lord, show us if we're taking that too far. Show us if we're taking something that's actually good and, and wonderful and we're taking it beyond. That it becomes more our focus than, than you and your love. That which we love more than the Lord. That which we think will meet our needs instead of him. It's sin. That is our idolatry. And God wants to step in and he wants to come down and reach us in mercy and in forgiveness. And we're going to see in these next verses that God wanted to step in and he offers mercy 
to the idolaters. Look at uh, verse 7 with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt, they've become corrupt, Moses. They have been quick to turn away from what I've commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and they have sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn hot, wax hot against them, and that I may destroy them. And then, Moses, I will make you into a great nation. At first read, it seems like the Lord is just showing, uh, you know, doing a childish hissy fit. I am sick of these people. I don't like them anymore. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to wipe them out. Just uh, leave me alone, Moses, so that I might burn hot against them. And you go, God, what, what's up? What is this? Just like that, you're just upset, upset and you're done with us and... What's going on? I don't want you to miss the mercy here. Stiff-necked people need a mercy massage. We do. They are stiff-necked. They are people, it's a farming term, which was to put the, to put the yoke on the oxen and the, the ox would not budge. Would not budge. It's people who, who come to you for counsel and, and say, tell me what I should do, and you tell them, and they don't do it. You ever done that? I know I have. Thanks for sharing your counsel, but I'm still stiff-necked. They nod yes, and they, don't, they live out no. We want what we want. You will not budge us. And so what he's saying to the people, they will not relent. They, they, they are oxen that won't take the yoke. And we need to step in, Moses. And it seems like God is totally dismissing it, but he's not at all. He is stepping right in to the middle of this with Moses, who is the mediator. And it seems like their parents who are arguing back and forth again. Hey, hey, uh, Moses, these are your people. No, God, they're your people. It's like, this is your son who did this. No, it's your son. And they're going back and forth. It's like, whose son is it? And they go back and forth and God starts talking to Moses Now, you can't forget that Moses just spent 40 days in the glory of God. What do you think that would do to your life? Truly. Uh, Don't you think it would change your whole world? Do you think as you started to see the heart of God in the midst of his glory that he might change your whole life? God does this work. And the question he's asking Moses really is, Moses, will you lead this people Will you be the mediator, the one to shepherd this flock? Will you lead them, Moses? And Moses, go down to the people. Be the one that stands between me and these stiff-necked Israelites. Be who I meant you to be, Jesus. And do you hear God talking to his son, Jesus? Jesus, go down. Go and deal with the sin of the world. Go down. And he does. And Moses steps in. He intervenes. And he comes into prayer with the Lord. And he calls out to the Lord. He's like, Lord, 
You, you love these people. They're your people. Sorry, in verse 11. They're your people, God. And he starts to appeal to who God is. Lord, you love these people. Look at all of the work you did with these people. You brought them up out of Egypt. And again, you've got to imagine that's why God's heart broke so much. I brought them up out of Egypt. I delivered them from slavery. I gave them water. I gave them manna from heaven. And they still have turned against me. Can you imagine God's heart here? And Moses appeals to that because he has the heart of God right now. God, you love these people. That's why you deliver them. And so he appeals to his father instincts and he, and he intervenes. And Deuteronomy 9 says, I lay prostrate before the Lord those 40 days and those 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord. I said, oh, sovereign Lord, do not destroy your own people, your own inheritance. Don't do it, God. And God says to Moses in the scene, he says, Moses, I'm going to make you a great nation. Can you imagine, Moses, thinking about that statement that God just gave him? I'm going to make you, Moses, a great nation. Remember all the times you guys grumbled against me in the desert? It's payback time. Do you think that would appeal to him? Forty days, always a testing period. And Moses is being tested. Will you go down and be the mediator? What is your heart for the people? He doesn't even think for a second about, I will be a great nation. He appeals to God on his father instinct. He appeals to God on who he said he was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You said they're going to be, out of that seed will come a great nation. Lord, don't forget that covenant that you made with your people because I know you love them. And he pleads with them and his reputation. God, don't let the Egyptians and the enemies make fun of you. Don't let them think that, that you brought these people out here just to die. He intercedes for the people in the middle of their sin. Because he has a passionate heart for his people. Do we have a passionate heart for those who are broken and those who are lost? For those caught up in sin, do we have a passionate heart? That we're interceding with God. God, help this person. God, step in here. God, be the Lord of their life. Lord, transform them. Do we intercede? And I think God is calling us to. And God actually relents from what he was going to do. He actually repents. He turns around. Do we change God's mind in our prayer? It's one of those great theological questions. But I'll tell you one thing I know. God wants us involved in his workings of life on this earth. He wants us involved in his kingdom work. And for whatever reason, he hears our prayer and he responds to it. So let us intercede. Let us pray for a broken world. Let's not sit there and just judge them and what a bunch of sinners. Let's get on our knees and go, God, you've got to do your work here. I know you love that person. We are to be intercessors in all kinds of ways to pray. And in this case, he's praying for the sin and now he must go down and confront the sin. Dear saints, Sin takes us further than we ever want to go. Always. 
it takes us to this point where we can't even imagine how we got here. And if we're to love each other well at all, we have to, like Moses, come down and deal with the sin. Not in judgment. Not in judgment, but in restoration. We need to care for each other by dealing with the fact that we sin and we mess up and we need people to help us out. We get stuck so far we can't even get out of our own stuff. We are called to enter in. You know, the truth of the matter is, when you choose to do this by the prompting of the Spirit, typically when you enter into sin with a a person you love, very rarely will you see someone say, Oh, thank you so much for approaching me about my adultery. I just really appreciate it. Today, I'm just going to change everything around. Let's right now, let's get on our knees and let everything is stopped and I'm going to now live for God. That happens occasionally. God's power can do that. But typically, it's like Aaron. God comes down to, or Moses comes down to Aaron and says, Aaron, what is this that you have done? He's dealing with the sin because he knows it's going to take the people and Aaron further than he wanted to go. What is it you've done? And Aaron's like, hey, Moses, don't get angry. He makes light of the sin. It's not a big deal, Moses. And then he says, Moses, you know. You know the, the, the evil that these people are prone to. And so then comes the blame of others, not dealing with ourselves. And then comes the lie. Moses, I took these earrings, I threw them in the fire, out popped this golden calf. I don't know how she got pregnant. We were just having a cup of coffee together. Next thing you know, there's a baby. Oh, we just try to make light. How do these things happen? We need to deal with our sin. Dear saints, God is calling each of us to deal with our sin. Because he wants us to draw closer to him. And Moses goes down as mediator. And he deals with the sin. And then comes the call. And this is the call to all of us. Right now, right here, how are you going to live? And he says to the Israelites, are you for the Lord? Who is it here in this group that is for the Lord? Who is it here that actually wants to live for the Lord? Who wants to be obedient? Who is going to respond to what they said they were going to do? Who? And so the Levites come. And they stand by his side. And they go out. And they take 3,000 out. God's judgment upon sin. That sin is serious. Moses came down, he took the idol and he burned it, melted it down, he put it in the water and he said, drink this. Taste this bitterness of sin. Taste this corruption. Swallow this sin. And he got rid of the idol completely. If we're going to be for the Lord, we have to make those steps. Again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to get rid of that sin. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in that keeps leading you down this path of destruction. And that you literally have to cut off that relationship, that friendship, because it's nothing but destructive to your life. I have many computers throughout the years that have been brought to my house 
because men and women both have said, I can't deal with this computer. These images keep popping in front of me, and I can't do it. And I want to live for God. Get rid of the sin. Moses' heart is passionate for his people. And so he says, let me go up. Let me plead for God, and maybe I can be an atonement. Maybe I can have some sort of atonement made for you. Because God is serious about sin and how it destroys. There must be judgment. Do you understand that? There has to be. Holy God, sinful people. Moses goes up and he says, Lord, will you forgive them? Do you see Jesus? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord God, if you won't forgive them, then take me, blot me out of your book. But he truly isn't up to the task. God doesn't accept him as an atonement because he's not a perfect sacrifice. Moses is full of sin. And at the end of the story, God says, Moses, you go down now and lead your people. There is a remnant. There are those who said we will follow. Will you? And then he says to Moses, but I am going to take out. There will be a plague. And they will die because of their disobedience in worshiping the calf. And you go, this movie stinks. This ending is terrible. What happened to merciful God? What happened to forgiveness? Paul says, this story is given to be a warning to you to understand God's holiness. To understand that sin cannot be tolerated. To make us see the destruction of sin in our lives. To not take it lightly like, oh, I just, oops, no big deal, let's just move on. It is a big deal. But there's good news. There's good news. There is an atonement that was perfect. And it's Jesus Christ. There's only one way to deal with sin. And it's in the love of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sin, who rose again and gives life to us who believe upon him. And so we're going to enter into communion this morning. As we deal with our sin, as we come before God and say, God, forgive us. And to know, as we love Jesus, that we are forgiven. We are a forgiven people in Christ. The scriptures say in Romans 3, this is the version of the message, but in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about, about in Israel, has become the Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in Jesus For there's no difference between us and them. And since we, all of us, have compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us, God did it for us. And out of sheer generosity, He puts us in right standing with Himself. 
a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in, and He restored us where He always wanted us to be. And He did it by the means of Jesus Christ. Let us come into communion as we come before the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have received this grace, his broken body. Take this in remembrance of him.
Now that we are set right with God, by means of the sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there's no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put onto friendly terms with God by his sacrificial death of his son, now that we are living for him, just think of our lives and how they will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose, but we sing and we shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. His blood shed for you. Jesus loves you. He loves me. And he knows how sin can just take us away from that relationship. And I just want to encourage you, dear saints, as we walk this life together, that we say, God, help. Lord, I'm stuck. Father, forgive me. And you know what, if you're stuck right now, if there's something that has just got such a stronghold on you, the truth is the power of sin is in its hiddenness. We need to come to one another and say, help me. Let's beg God together to free you up because he wants that relationship with you. He doesn't want you to end up where you never wanted to be. And that we would choose this day to say, I am for the Lord. I choose to live for him. I want to be set apart unto him. And so that I live this very moment, this very day for him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us, this church, Cole Community Church. We have sinned against you and you alone, O oh God. And Father, help us to see with your eyes how our sin just takes us to depths that are so destructive. Lord, show us uh, any way in us, right now, this very moment, any way in us that is not pleasing to you, Father. Reveal our sin in us. Because we do, Lord, we want to obey, we want to stand for you and say, Lord, we know that you want to give us life and give us life to the full, and as we sin, we destroy that. Father, thank you for your Son who died for this sin of ours because you want a relationship with us, because you want to dwell with us forever. Thank you for your Son. Thank you that we are forgiven because of his blood shed for us. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we live for you this day. In your precious name, amen.